When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Decade Project. It's a One Heat Minute Productions special Patreon podcast where I go back 10 years. You know, the great critic Anthony Lane for The New Yorker said, you should review a movie on the Friday, the Friday that it opens or not for 50 years. And I'm not quite as disciplined as Anthony Lane of like not reviewing something for 50 years, but increasingly with the glut of, you know, poorly produced like just content rather than cinema um i like to go back 10 years to just check out what are the things that are still hanging around what are the things that maybe we got wrong what are the things that with the contemporary glut of awfulness um have kind of started to crystallize in the culture as like a seminal text from that year so i've been bringing my friends together we've been talking about a bunch of movies but i wanted to talk to this man today he's one of my truly favorite critics he's one of my truly favorite smart asses. And uh, as I say now all the time, after a year, just over a year after meeting him in person, I actually know what his sweaty, drunken face tastes like. Yes, it is <laughs> the wonderful Sean Burns here on the Decade Project to talk about the Coen Brothers' spectacular 2013 film, Inside Lewin Davis. What'd you say you played? Folk songs. Folk songs. Solo act? No, I had a partner. Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. George Washington Bridge? You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? If I hadn't wings, I know it's done. I'd fly the river. Explain the cat. What's its name? I, I don't know. It's the Gorkhine's cat. It slipped out and I don't have the key. My honey, fare thee well. Don't tell Jim. Oh! Obviously. Well, I had a man, strong and tall. He moved his body like a cannonball. Well, fare thee well. There was no advance on my solo record. There's got to be some royalty. For Christ's sake, it's cold out. I don't even have a winter coat. You're kidding me. Hey, this kid. No, no. I remember one evening in the pouring rain and in my heart. Do you ever think about the future at all? You mean like flying cars? Hotels on the moon? Tang. I want you to leave. Get out of here. Danny. Your uncle's a bad man. Okay. So show us a bird flying high above. Life ain't worth living without the one you love. I'm interested in, in gigging here. Okay, let's hear something. You don't want to hear the record? Why should I? You're here, play me something. Play me something from Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Hello, my friend. 
How are you, sir? Uh, I'm good. I'm good when I get to go back to tired. (laughs) I thought I was tired. I thought I was just tired, but it's more than that. I'm really tired. We just, we just, we just capped off our introductory conversation with like, I think you're doing this series because someone saw the new Indiana Jones movie, which is, which is the best psychological diagnosis of this. It's you're absolutely a hundred percent correct. It's just seeing bad movies and going, you know what? Maybe we have have to remember when I could feel. (laughs) I don't feel anything. No, that's exactly what I said to you. I was sitting next to a friend. We were about to walk out. Uh, of the new Indiana Jones movie, which we won't sully too hard um, here. But I was just like, I felt nothing. <laughs> I felt nothing. It's much like when I saw the movie Solo. I, like people were like, oh, Solo, that's okay. They try and tell me that it was okay. I'm like, listen, the movie had Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, the Millennium Falcon, and Chewbacca. It should have been four stars at the starting blocks. <laughs> and it stunk. Okay, then you know how really bad it is because it had a four-star start on the line. It's like, it's like you know, it'd be like the Harlem Globetrotters playing like a pickup basketball game. Like it should have just started major favorite to be decent, but, you know, catastrophically it's not. Um, Maybe we should just let these series run their course and then let them be over. <laughs> like, what a crazy idea. Please just die. Can something just end? <laughs> For the love of God, keep watching this shit in perpetuity. (laughs) I don't want to. I really don't. (laughs) But speaking of a movie that just starts and ends, and constantly pushes you to want to revisit it, the Coen Brothers in 2013 made Inside Lewin Davis. Um, You yourself, um, which you can still be found on your Spice personality site, wrote, "It's my favorite movie in years." It's the Cohen's most melancholic reverie, ditching their useful clockwork plotting for a loosey-goosey collection of anecdotes that only reveal themselves to be impeccably structured in retrospect. Like all the Cohen Brothers movies, this one demands and rewards repeat viewings. You wrote that on the 18th of December. You published it for the Improper Bostonian on the 18th of December, 2013. And I think you're absolutely right. This movie is just endlessly rewatchable um, for all the reasons. Well, here's a funny thing. I actually hadn't watched it since 2015. Wow. Wow. Because I wa- I saw this movie right after I got fired from Philly Weekly for a variety of stupid reasons. And I was having terrible money problems and I had to give up my apartment, move back into my childhood bedroom at the age of 38 oh, until I could God. make some money. <laughs> and I saw this movie so many fucking times. <laughs> It was like speaking directly to my soul. <laughs> You're just trying that, to ship when out. Things yeah. got better and I was slightly less of a disaster. <laughs> I stopped listening to the soundtrack and stopped rewatching the movie because I was like, I don't want to think about that time. And so when I put it on last night, I was very hesitant. I'm like, is this going to bring back that whole time and the era? But, and it kind of did, but it's such a great fucking movie that like, <laughs> yeah. it was good. You got me over the hump. I've been afraid I- to break the seal and rewatch it. I'm so glad. It's so funny when you find a movie that is just, that speaks to a specific moment in time. I remember like that movie for me was like Calvary, like watching, (laughs) like, you you know, just like trying to find, trying to find faith, trying to find something you're watching it. It's speaking to a whole bunch of challenges you're having in your life. And I'm just like, I can't watch that for a good little while now that hurt that movie hurts in a a way that's too familiar (laughs) i'm gonna stay the fuck away from that movie for now but no i'm so glad to hear yeah and this was a time where i was uh hemorrhaging friends at a pretty incredible rate (laughs) let's just say i saw a lot of myself and lewin particularly the way he engages with other people within the film i still i i love that about you i love that about you (laughs) I like I come out of the theater and everyone's like he's such a dick. I was like, really? <laughs> like he's great. I like him. Yeah. Like, That's like there when you're watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and you're like, I don't see what's wrong here. <laughs> he's making some excellent points. And all your friends are like, oh Sean, oh Sean. <laughs> That's why yeah, we love I was you. joking about it last night on Twitter. Like I really, like I had this transcendent moment the first time I saw it when he's watching the the trio there with the guy with who doesn't have higher function <laughs> and they're singing the Peter Paul and Mary song. 
and he's just Lewin's just like miserable and smoking and then the whole gaslight cafe starts singing along with the song he looks around like what the fuck <laughs> it takes him so and you got a picture like me sitting and remember what like 2013 was like movie wise yeah and what our the critical industry was which was basically just nothing but that was when superheroes had completely fracked Yes, it actually almost looks like the good old days we're talking about now. Yeah. But like right then yeah. was just, you know, I'm seeing grown ass adults fawning over these Marvel movies, and I'm Lou and looking around like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> this isn't a movie. This isn't a <laughs> fucking movie. So the Khan brothers make this. They, I want to, I want to just go back to their resume really quickly before we start talking too much about the rest of this stuff. <laughs> They, this is the end of the most insane run. <laughs> the, I, I was just going to say their their run here is unbelievable. So you've got I don't even know where to start it, but let's just start it. It starts with like, No Country because they've taken a few years off after yeah. the bad comedies. Yeah, so they go No Country, they go Burn After Reading, which is the year after, which is such a fun movie oh my goodness a serious man which is terrific i'm overdue on a rewatch of that true grit which i've watched countless times yeah you want to so, talk about a rewatchable movie that like, that, is a, that, that is a sensate and matt damon gives his best truly best performance <laughs> of all time as the beef my favorite shitbag Bless his heart for embracing the shitbag in that movie. Love it to pieces. He bites half his tongue off and he still won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> the whole, you get the most talkative character ever in the whole second half of the movie. <laughs> they just restrain themselves from going, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Like, you know, like it's not, they want to do it so bad, but it's all implied. And so then they run out of true grit into Inside Lewin Davis, then they go into Hail Caesar, which is also so, so, so yeah, joyful. I think it's good, but it's a step down from... It's not, it's not, you know, they were going five. up. They were going up. They, were, yeah. they hit a crescendo and it was always going to be slightly deflated, but they hit Inside Lewin Davis in 2013. And I think I, I, I have a... I quit making movies, broke up and stopped making movies together. Yeah, right, basi basically, it was like, it was, it was every, it was everything. It was, I remember seeing the movie, it's look, it's feeling the entire tone of the movie. I mean, the best cat performance um, <laughs> since, since the cat with Elliot Gould. Um, what's in, uh, oh my God, I've just forgotten Long Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> best cat performance since Long Goodbye. And it's has an unbelievable cast. So you've got off, and the best weather, the best weather. It's <laughs> that movie it's, is cold as fuck. <laughs> it's fucking cold. It's awful. And just the even just last night, what got me was Lewin goes over to Al Cody's house, Adam Driver, and he's like, "How's your house? How's your place?" And he goes, "It's a dump." And he goes, "You got a couch?" <laughs> like it's just nothing. He goes, "The dump." Got a couch? Sure. He goes there. Scratch Village Apartments. It was beautiful. I lived in one of those in college with the exact same long ass hallway and the two doors the, at the, the whole end. the hallway that is seems to it looks like a forced perspective trick. Like it's just like into a point. Could not fit two people in the hallway. <laughs> Trying to move kid in? in and out of those. It was a sixth floor walk up. Like I swear watching that, I was like that. I live there. Yeah. It's and so just when he sits on the couch. And he's trying to feel if it's comfortable and it's clearly not. And he's like, eh, 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 just tries to sit down and he cannot get comfortable. He lays down. I'm just like, man, this poor bastard. It is just, it is. And a has got a box of remaindered records. <laughs> Everyone's got their boxes. Everyone's got their box. <laughs> Everyone's got their box from the same shitty manager who uh, will, will just never do anything for them in their career. The thing that movie gets to, there's like a special kind of, aggravation when you're panicking about money like it gets it so well like you know like every like, panic attacks in that movie because you know he's got the 200 dollars, yeah and that's all he's gonna get for the longest time <laughs> and the shit where he has to pay the dues and the and just the way you're irritated because it's always in the back of your head like well, well fuck, you know i mean they say money doesn't you know buy happiness but it buys you relief from thinking about where i'm gonna <laughs> Whose couch am I going to crash on tonight? Where's my next meal coming from? Do I have to call the Gorefines again? Yeah, it's, it's, 
I remember one time and it was funny. It was like, a, it's, it's something that um, even in pop culture, it's like people obviously know people like Joe Rogan and stuff like that. And I remember there was a conversation I've seen clipped up a few times where it was like the money that he had from that show fear factor, you know, cause everyone was like, Oh, news radio. It's a syndicated show. You probably made a bunch of money. He's like, yeah, I made some good money with that show. That was really good. You know, that was a comfort thing. He's like, but the money he made off of fear factor, which people, you know, absolutely ate up in the early two thousands. He's just like, I just never, I had a house forever, you know, like, like I have a house forever. I have a, as many cars as I need. I don't have to worry about how much a meal costs. Like I, there's nothing worse in your life, even in the small moments that you have now where it's like, Oh fuck it. If I go and spend money on this big meal, is that going to do it? And it's about mounting stress and to get to the Lewin level where there's no yeah. more house, there's no more royalties. You can't even wait for an approval because your shitbag manager is just like happily attending new funerals because he likes them. And you're like, he can't give me permissions. And the please Mr. Kennedy is going to hit and like change your whole life. And he's like, well, that's it is. It's awful. Um, I, that it's so, it hits so real on absolutely every conceivable level. hates that song so much. It oh. doesn't occur to him that the royalties will be huge. Like, he thinks he's getting a deal by getting the 200 bucks. You know, yeah. Yeah. Because he's such an insufferable purist. <laughs> and I do love that Justin Timberlake's gym, another fant- like one of basically two <laughs> fantastic Justin Timberlake acting performances. Um, he's so fantastic because he's so happy and he's like, Yeah, I wrote I wrote it. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he just, <laughs> just uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, it's absolutely just yeah, that that brutal constant walk up. And even there's one moment late in the film where he called, um, he's on the buzzer with Gene, um, Carrie Mulligan's Mulligan, character. And he's like, please, I don't want to stay. Can I just put my stuff down? I'm sick of dragging it around. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, your whole life, a guitar case in a bag. And you just walk it around the fucking bitter cold streets of New York Without City. Without a winter coat. Oh, <laughs> So the cold. wet socks are the worst. <laughs> yeah. When he lifts his foot out of the shoe and he doesn't even want to put his foot down. I'm just, Oh God. So cold. You really feel it. No, I mean, it's so, it's so visceral. I mean, and Lewin, like he's such a purist and he's good, but like F Murray Abraham's right. He doesn't connect with people. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, he has trouble with people in general. I think. <laughs> I love F Murray Abraham's character. Um, he's so wonderful in this. I want to get, I want to get his name. Cause it's based, it's Bud Grossman, but it's based off a real character. Yeah, um, I, I, um, also named yeah. Grossman, but, uh, but yeah, Efra, manager. and every man sitting there and he's watching him and he just goes, I don't see any money in here. I don't see a lot of money here. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a lot of withering, like, because you're expecting in any movie. This is where he's transported. This is his moment. I'm showing you. I'm a genius, and it's like, yeah, he's pretty good, but it's kind of a drag in the sets, you know. Like, it's like, it's like I've got a trio. He's like, no, I don't want to be a part of it. And he goes, okay, well, I, I used to have a partner. He goes, you know what I think? Get back together. And it's <laughs> even more ruthless because it's like it's it's a line that doesn't mean to say kill yourself, but it's a line that's like kill yourself. <laughs> it's so it's well, I mean, so, we're talking about the ingenious instructions like that you don't know what happened to mikey until halfway yeah. through the movie you know where you you think for you just assume that he couldn't stand <laughs> i mean maybe he also couldn't but maybe that's why he killed himself <laughs> oh god but like also lewin is the type of guy that would absolutely regardless of whether it was mike that took his own life and all that sort of stuff. But like that he thinks that Mike killed himself because he couldn't stand him. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, <laughs> he's the guy who would take that blaming. You're like, that makes no sense. Like, how are you taking responsibility for this? And he'd be like, no, nah, that's, that's what happened. That's, that's, that's what it is. The amazing thing I'd forgotten. Cause it had been so long when he tries to borrow the money from Justin Timberlake mm. For Justin Timberlake's like wife to have an abortion, an abortion. <laughs> because he impregnated her. <laughs> have we seen a protagonist get to do something that shitty? <laughs> no. And nor have we seen a protagonist find out that the previous abortion he paid for, he's still got a credit. Isn't that the most fucking awful thing 
in the world. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, oh, no. I know. When he drives by Akron, there's like the life he could have had and the kid. And now nah, no one wants that. God. God. <laughs> they clearly don't want him around. No, he doesn't need to be there. They're fine without him. Clearly. <laughs> she went home. She went home. And especially after he plays his dad that beautiful old song and the man silently observes it and then shits himself. I'm just like, oh God, life is bad. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really special movie. Back in 2013, I feel like the critical community, despite the fact that it like it was nominated for a stack of awards, I think it had like 46 nominations altogether had a stack of award noms and a whole there bunch like of no Oscar nominations. Right. Like, I think, ugh. I think it was two Oscars, <clears throat> but it's not, they weren't anything top of the line. Um, uh, I think it was almost like, you know, Cohen's were the victims of their own success in the preceding years of the Oscars because they weren't really nominated for anything. It was all below the line categories um, um, here. So there's one for Bruno, uh, D- Bruno Dobonell's, cinematography so he was a nominee and then the best achievement in sound mixing from uh skip leave say jeff orloff and mm-hmm. peter curland who were the, the sound mixers on the movie which feels like such tokenistic tick boxes of like things that the movie could be good for because the sound mixing is terrific i mean the whole atmosphere of the movie is sensational but it's just like it's such a tight movie and then without about five within about five years and i'm trying to like exactly chart it but you know the Criterion Collection had already released, like had like earmarked that, that that's going to be a Criterion Collection release, and it's or I believe it's already out on 4K. I think it may be 4K or Blu-ray. There's an Inside Lewin Davis. I remember it being the best reviewed movie of the year. It was just sort of like it was like that stump. I mean, the problems with the Academy. First of all, it was a new studio, CBS Studios, that had no yeah. idea how to mount yes. any sort of campaign. And also, it's a movie about failure, which the Academy loves. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but it hasn't like I mean what it take this what you will but like if you look at Rotten Tomato scores they're often deceptive it's just you know whether it's broadly positive or broadly negative but Metacritic gives a score and like on IMDb they mount that and Metacritic score for this movie is ninety three and yeah. usually movies that are huge award contenders are anywhere in between like eighty nine and ninety four I think every Oscar winner except for some of those absolute clangers. Um, you know, Moonlight, I think famously was like 94 a Metacritic score or something like that. So there's like these huge movies, independent, every critic that had established themselves working for huge publications had been, you know, adorned by the Metacritic sort of blessing was giving this movie huge props. And at the time, I remember, especially the entire Australian community, we, this was one of the last movies that I think collectively the entire media community got to see a screening of before the end of the year. Cause you know, we, in Australia, unlike probably the States, we sort of shut down over Christmas. That's our summer holiday. So like there's a good yeah. month or so where there's not much happening. All the movies that are being released basically at the end of December or in early to late January, we get screened early and there's a bit of a glut at the end of the year. And I remember this is one of the last ones where all of us were just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Another Coen brothers movie. We're all in, we all went along and we were all completely flabbergasted. We just walked out of the cinema just going like, that was amazing. Like, that's the best movie of the year. That should win Oscars. That is these guys. I went to all just... three press screenings. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I've done that a few times myself. Go, You go to one because you're interviewing the director or something like that. You go to one and then there's a media screening. And you're like, oh, oh, you don't need your ticket, right? And I'm like, oh, no, no. Yeah, I do. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, go to the, I'll, I'll go to the next one. Um, yeah. But, doing the Collins, there was, I went to True Grid. There was a press one on monday night i went and there was like a all media one on tuesday and i was leaving on monday i was like so i'll see you guys tomorrow (laughs) i'll come back again thank you very much so (laughs) but despite all of the critical nominations because that's where like i want i got 174 nominations total across a whole bunch of critical bodies it won 46 awards it seemed to be like the best review movie of the year and then it kind of had the shutout and even like in a time in the last 10 years when the Oscars have given awards for like, I don't even remember the guy's name now. I, I probably put it out of my mind. Like Freddie, the guy who like lip synced to yeah. Freddie Mercury <laughs> and we don't give it to, you don't give Oscar Isaac even a nomination for this sensation. This is a movie about a loser who's a complete prick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, how, how do you, how do you sell uh, 
civilians on this one. <laughs> I know, but surely I'm sure us can... movie people like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you're like having money issues and in a bad mood all the time, it really speaks to you. But, like, <laughs> normal just... people are like, you know, what happens to him at the end? Oh, you know, he plays a good set, and then Bob Dylan comes on. <laughs> And then Bob Dylan comes on and revitalizes folk music in one set. This is the biggest star for the next 30 years. It's the greatest stealth setup for that, too. Which is yeah. like, well, you'll have to split the basket because there's another act. It's so it's wonderful. Fun. It's so wonderful. <laughs> that, and so it just it happened. But I want to say, like, now... A great passive test for me is my wife, right? So I watch a stack of movies. I'm talking to you from my office. I've got a TV in here. So if I'm going to watch like, you know, if I'm going to watch like uh, the other day, I watched a great uh, imprint films have done these classic noir collection box set. So if I'm watching like three noirs in a row, like the enforcer and rope of sand, my wife's not having to watch those with me. But if I'm going to watch inside Lewin Davis, I'm like, oh, well, it's on a streaming service. I'll just hit play and I'll sit in the lounge room and I'll watch it. And I really know a movie is good if my wife is like intent on, you know, the kids have gone to bed. She's playing around on social media. She's got her own business and stuff. So she's doing sort of stuff. And as soon as I see the phone go down and she's engaged, I'm like, this is a really good movie because she can't take her eyes off. And maybe that's indicative of us worrying about money that she's like, I'm fucking in (laughs) on this movie right now. But, but she just put the phone down and watched it. And I'm like, yeah, like there's just something about it. There's a magic about it that even if you're passive, and even if you're not necessarily, you know, you don't agree with the character's motivations on what they're like. I'm just like, there is something undeniable about this movie. You put it on and it is transfixing and hypnotic and you watch it. And then there's these beautiful moments of music and they're all like dripping with melancholia and you are just, it's just unbelievable. And this loss and just <clears throat> this tactile experience of living and doing it really fucking tough. But I just it, everything about it, it it just looks sensational. It feels sensational, and in so many movies, it's not nostalgic. You have this, you yeah. know, this legendary time in Greenwich Village, and there aren't the like postcard shots of like here, you know, oh here's the famous street that from the Bob Dylan album covers, and here's the kettle of fish, and like no, it's just cold out and shitty. Yeah, it's cold. Everyone's tired. You're going over to the Gorefine's house and they're going to show you off to their next group of academic friends. And speaking <laughs> as a person who briefly was in academia and then recently went to university again, I was just like, I was like, the casting of academics in this movie is 50 out of 10. And when when he meets the couple, I have to get their names. Alex Karpovsky plays Marty Green and his wife, Helen oh, Hong, plays Janet Fung. And they're like, yeah, his name's Howie Green Fung. And he goes, what? <laughs> He's just such a prick. He's like, huh? He's like, you're fucking kidding, right? (laughs) He's like the group chat before there was a group chat. He's just like saying this shit that you can only say to your friends. He's just saying it out loud. And you're like, oh God, Lewin, just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, It's so. Again, I really identify with this character. (laughs) It's the staggering inability to read the room. (laughs) The one scene you know, if we talk about sequences or scenes that I just can't get enough of a a Coen brothers hall of fame performance by John Goodman as Roland Turner, Garrett, Garrett Hedlund, his valet, Johnny five. And that, that car trip. Weird Neil Cassidy. Yeah. (laughs) Sputtering beat poetry. I, I can't get enough that. I can't get enough of that whole scene. It's so fucking batshit. I can't get enough. He has an overdose and Garrett Hedlund's just like, he'll be right. And just tracked into a car. It's like, oh my God. Well, and it's almost like the reveal that Goodman's been shooting heroin the whole time. And you're yeah. such like, you're like, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Why didn't they put that together like four trips to the bathroom ago? <laughs> On his sticks and getting dragged out and just nodding out in the car. And Lew- especially when Lewin's playing the guitar and going, Oh, he's trying to wake him up to be a freak. I know it had been so long since Goodman had been in a Cullen Brothers movie, too, right? It had been uh, since O Brother. Uh, it's been a long time. T- <laughs> yeah, no, O Brother was after Lebowski. So, yeah, I think that was the last one. I was so excited when he showed up. So wonderful. And also, Garrett Hedlund gets one of the coolest things, a, a very shitty thing. <laughs> he got- Lewin's like, you got any more cigarettes? He's like, I'm out. And then the next car trip, he's lighting it in his smoke. And Lewin's just looking at him. It's just, 
It's the only thing that Coen Brothers can do just better than anyone else. It's just that people being shitty to each other and it's, you just want to laugh out loud, but it's so relatable and it's so that it's, it's really good. Can I ask a question? This is like the uh, probably leading towards more of like, um, what have we learned at, like in the last 10 years about this movie is how with what had to be a modest budget, does this period piece look much like true grit does and even hail Caesar? How do they look so much better than all of the garbage that spends $150 million <laughs> to look better than this and just never how, I'm I'm struggling to understand to translate it, and I wonder if you can help me because I'm like, this they're movie, better at their jobs. They are just better at their jobs. <laughs> That's as simple as it might be. I just I look at this movie. I'm like, everything they're shooting in New York City, which must be fucking a nightmare to go and find the spots to shoot them to adorn every apartment with these particular things to have those color palettes. I remember find- pictures of the set, and there was like half green screens by the subway stations, and you know it was very. The CG was really well integrated, so you couldn't, you can't, it doesn't really pop out at you. No, that a lot was, of that was digital. That, yeah, they're, they're basically doing that, the Fincher Zodiac trick of like finding real places that still exist, dressing them as best they can. And when there's the, I guess what you would say is like the contemporary blind spots where you're going to look down the street and obviously navigate immediately that that's not 1970 um, or 1961 as it is in this movie, they just cover it up and then they do a great job of like almost digitally recreating like matte paintings, you know, the old tricks like yeah. in-camera mats of like you have it so that the rest of the street looks like that. And it's just effortless. Everything looks fantastic. Well, it's but also was- a really constricted view, like stylistically. There aren't a lot of wide shots in this yeah. movie. And yeah. I mean, that's on purpose to keep you in his condition. There's not a lot of relief. Is is that but, what um, James Mangold was going for in indie? Just a lot of constricted <laughs> first person. There was no psychological reason for that. It's just, just but yeah, take... like I mean the um the Gate of Horn F. Murray Abraham's Club. That's actually a church in Harlem, right oh, near really? where I stay when I go to New York. Yeah, I walk by there all the time. Ah, oh, that's amazing. And I just put up that sign that said Gate of Horn, but it's a. Uh... That's amazing. Oh well, see again, great. Like, how do we find a building that suits what we're trying to do, that ha- gets the feel, that has the snow, that we can do it? You tuck around the corner. It just, it feels, it looks like that. The old buses, God bless those old buses. They look so fantastic and so perfect. But I just was watching this and I was like, everything about it, the way the studio looks, the way the over the, the overhighway diners look, everything looks sublime. The production design does so much heavy lifting. And it just, it, 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 it feels like a total immersion where so many movies that spend more look like shit. And I just can't. I've had my one quibble with the Coens is they lean way too hard in the color correction. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's. Like it's got that creamy sort of like, just dial it back just a little bit. Like, I mean, they, they just hate film grain. I don't know what it is. There's one or two moments where um, that's where you notice it in the diner uh, where, where John Goodman's character, Roland Turner has <laughs> after a great speech about, hey, you're going to wake up. I love that. It's like, you'll wake up and your life is bad. And you'll, one day it'll be rolling turn. And Lewin's just smiling like, my my life could not be any shittier than it is right this minute. Make- you try to scare me with your bullshit. You can't make my life worse. I know, worse I was thinking of that bad Santa line. You think you can make my life worse, lady? Take a fucking shot. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, there's that great thing, but in that diner, it's like the color finally pops. 
you know, mm-hmm. the red chairs, the white floors, the green bathroom, like it finally has life in it. And there's a couple of moments there. You're right. It's probably, it's like just like a split second. It's like, why is this brighter? Why does this feel slightly different? But it is it's oppressive. It's the Crema Instagram filter on yeah. it. <laughs> but it's, it's, but it just looks, it looks so amazing. And it, yeah, that's one thing that I look at this movie. I'm like, you can still do period movies using sets and spaces and places you just have to be clever about it and it doesn't have to be all on a studio and recreate the whole thing it's just like give some people some tactile space have some weather have some inclement shit that people have to deal with and then paint out some other stuff you know paint out some tourists paint out a stupid sign like how hard is that whereas a lot of movies these days are like no we're going to recreate this in the volume and you're like it just doesn't it looks like shit every movie looks like shit so bad everything looks bad i I can't after the flash like i was like well it was in color (laughs) (laughs) because i'd seen indiana jones earlier in the day which is not in color (laughs) everything's gray and beige and smeared (laughs) the flash had the color red in it for like two seconds oh it's my friend of the show and uh, I would say extended mutual friend of yours, but definitely great friend of mine, Stu Coot goes, Hey, I remember, remember how good the CG technology was when river Phoenix was Harrison Ford. <laughs> like that's exactly, I'm like, there's, there's fucking guys lining up just to do 15 minutes in a movie. We'll believe it. It's okay. <laughs> we're not that stupid. It's fine. It's yeah. My friend parody always has the best line of what he what qualifies for Kurt as a real movie is if they built sets and went outside. Yes. <laughs> I use that all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like when I saw the, the great, um, a great franchise, uh, entry recently in a long enduring franchise prey, um, which is part <laughs> of the predator series. There's a moment where the lead character is running down a mountain with her, with her dog companion which is clearly shot outside. And I was like, wow, they went outside. (laughs) Look at them. Look at them. They built a set. There's like a little, there's a bunch of native American like teepees and there's a, like they they got animals there and the livestock and people have the paint on their faces. I'm like, this is a movie. And I'm like, no, I get so stupidly excited at that last bond movie. (laughs) They're in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. He, he, he pushed a car off a road. It was a real car. It was a real fucking car. <laughs> it's like that. that and it's so embarrassing. I now have the dead reckoning, the teaser poster <laughs> for dead reckoning behind me. And I was just, I went with my, I went with a friend to see Indiana Jones. And I was like, it's okay. I know that was bad, but we have, we, we can guarantee that Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise shut down Rome for three weeks. <laughs> like we have to look forward to that. Like, before we even get to the great motorcycle stunt, perhaps the greatest <laughs> stunt in cinema history, I'm like, they shut down Rome so that we could actually experience this for real. I mean, does anyone care besides us old fogies? I mean, I guess so, because these movies are underperforming like hell. Like, I mean, those Fast and Furious numbers were comically bad. Yeah. I think it's, I think people sometimes can't put their finger on what it is, but ultimately it's about that, like, unquantifiable like does it actually connect with you you know does Mm -hmm. it is it connecting with you does it feel like something and you know you just even you know recently john wick which again all of the john wick movies it seemed to overperform but it's just like you do a if you do a lawrence of arabia match cut to john wick on a black horse chasing down three guys and it's in a fucking desert and he's coming on like he's riding through some gorgeous desert. I don't know if it was Namibia or somewhere in Morocco or something like that, where they shot that looks a little Namibia. I've you know done like I was lucky enough to do some travels in Africa. So like, it looks like it could be in the Namib desert. I'm not sure exactly where it is or if it's up further North Algeria, Egypt, etc. but he's flying through and you're like, Oh, that's a real guy on a horse. <laughs> it's a real guy on a horse. Even, even something which, you know, until very recently was incredibly hard to find Jim Cameron's wonderful true lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> like, well, Arnie, I mean, wonderful is a little excessive. I, 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 I love it. <laughs> I love it. But I, but even like Arnold Schwarzenegger riding a horse through Washington, DC, it's like, yeah. it's really him on a horse riding through <laughs> traffic. You can't beat that. You can't beat being or in even a place. Even if you fake things, when if you fake them, well, I mean, there's, I mean, John Wick, 
four looks spectacular and there's bright colors and you know it's not that it doesn't look like cement like all yes. these fucking marvel things do yeah it's it, that i think that that's what it is it's like the more that it's there used to be a time where there was like a curiosity where i remember i was playing so in Australia, rugby union is not used to be one of our biggest sports. It's not our biggest sport anymore, but like rugby league. And I was playing a, a rugby union game on a, on a, like an Xbox or something like that. And I was playing it. And for a split second, I had a fan, an older family friend walk in the room and look at it. And he didn't see that I had the controller in my hand. So he looked at it and he was like, Oh, who's playing. And it took him just like a half second to go like, Oh wait, this is a fucking video game. Like it looks awesome. Right. But, but I feel like that was like 20 years ago, like almost 20 years ago. And I feel like people have become so accustomed to it that they like, even if they can't put their finger on it, they just look at it and like, that's a fucking video game. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your video game shit. Whereas like Top Gun Maverick, where he takes off in a fucking F-18 and your whole body, your whole DNA changes because you're like, oh my God. (laughs) There's a guy in like the angels or whatever, the, the, the angels, the guy who's flying that said he did that one trench run flight with Tom Cruise in the back and the got out of the plane and said, I'm not doing that again. Like, you're just like, <laughs> I'm not doing it again. You're like, oh shit, that was a real guy flying a real plane doing this. And it changes something molecular on a molecular level. Like, like you watch those Indiana Jones movies. And when I was, I was joking to my mates, I was like, I wasn't aroused at all. And people like sexually aroused. I'm like, no, like, my body registers things that are movies. I don't even have to think about it anymore. You know, when, when I see Harrison Ford's silhouette at the beginning of Raiders, something is happening to my body. I don't, nothing, there's no, there's no control. You know, when the orca goes out and John Williams music is playing in Jaws, something happens. I'm not even well, you thinking get excited about it. and there's yes. nothing exciting in this new indie. It's like, yeah. It's so, puttering around on this terrible <laughs> fake horse. <laughs> fake horse. Um, the fake guy on a fake horse and there's a fake parade. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Harrison Ford's offspring, we have to talk about Adam Driver, who has one of the best <laughs> silly like roles in a Coen Brothers movie. Like, uh, I've forgotten how many funny noises he makes during that scene. I was... I was howling. I was howling, <laughs> laughing. And my wife was looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, it's, it's so dumb. It's like, this is why Lewin hates this song so much. He hates it. And I get it. I get why he hates it. Cause it's so ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. It's fantastic. It's fantastic levels of ludicrousness, but, um, Incredible, yeah. like rambling Jack Elliott joke too. Of him yeah. just being this <laughs> Jewish guy from New Jersey who pretends to be a cowboy. He's like, I'm, I want to change my name formally, you know, formally. <laughs> um, but it's it's really um, it's God, this movie is so good. I mean, just <laughs> you know what I was thinking of last night, like when I was watching it, I was remembering how funny it was to watch Terry Mulligan be mean and angry. Yes, because that was the first time, and that's all she's done ever since. Yeah, I was like, oh, they get this sweet angelic Carrie Mulligan to say fuck and be angry all the time, and now every movie is. (laughs) But my friend Nicole calls Carrie Mulligan's angry podcaster voice. Get her a show on Spotify for God's sake. (laughs) She can just yell at men. Uh, I forgot about this line too from Roland Turner. He's like, no, I had a partner. He threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> and in true John Goodman fashion, George Washington Bridge. You throw yourself <laughs> off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? You're like, oh my God. That's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the story. God, I love this movie. Oh my God. Um, It's so fantastic. Let's talk about our favorite what ifs my favorite what if from this movie was only revealed um i'm gonna try and get the date it was only like 2016 casey affleck bostonian fellow bostonian your mate casey affleck um was talking to mark Marin on the wtf podcast about you know i think Marin had gone down the road of like roles that he maybe could have gotten but didn't get and does he have any regrets and he said i really wanted to be Lewin Davis. 
And I was like, whoa, that's, he's the right kind of depressive sad sack that could. Oh fucking, yeah. I can see that. Perfect. I could see it too. He would crush this role. And he's like, they had a guy to sing, you know, I had to sing really well. And he's like, he's like, it's like, yeah, I can do it. And then practiced and practiced and then did an audition and then completely bombed it. And I think the Coen brothers were, you know, like that already had Oscar Isaac basically in the wings, but waiting, waiting yeah. to do this role, their front runner. But what a wonderful sliding doors moment, um, especially in, in his career, because like it totally could have been a Casey Affleck joint. And I think he would have, you know, for all of the non-musical stuff, I mean, he's born for this sardonic fucking awfulness. Like he's born for it. It might've even been funnier. It might've even been funnier because he's got such a phenomenal sense of timing and he literally can do anything as an actor. He might be a bit of a shitbag. Uh, as a I've, I've never, I've never heard this before, but now all I can think of is him doing the untired speech. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, and he looks tired. Like he, you know, that, that <laughs> he looks tired. That, that oh, made, I was nice with, Oscar Isaac, because you never get like a lead role like that with someone we've never really seen before. I mean, you know, so he got killed a half hour into Drive. <laughs> like yeah, that was five minutes into the Born piece of shit there with with Renner, and then that was like all I'd ever seen him in. So it was, you know, seeing a lead you've never you didn't have any baggage or anything. It was just like, oh, this is Lewin. And last night, um, when I knew I was going to watch it, I went back onto Spotify and I was listening to the music and listening to fare thee well in the kitchen while I was cooking dinner and getting things ready. And I was just like, couldn't help but sing along. I was just, it's such a breakout. Like we've learned that Oscar Isaac is a true star. He's phenomenal. He's done a, a, a million roles. He's kind of until very recently was staying out of the like Marvel bullshit. Um, he did get caught up in the X-Men apocalypse, um, the worst. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a Star Wars, it was an X-Men, he was yeah, he does all that shit. Like he, he did he did it know. now, he's done it, he's done it all now. But like at the time, he was this really exciting guy. Like at the time, he's like does this and he's doing things like X Machina, and you're like, wow, this guy fucking rules. Um he did that but, crazy anti-union, anti-teachers union movie that has like, oh. been like stricken from the record. It's what's like, the what's the most uh, a most violent year? was around this time too that was yeah. a really terrific movie where he's doing like it was, young- it was i think it was a couple of years before lewin davis or i forget it's like never go back or something but it's um it's oscar isaac it's maggie gyllenhaal and viola davis and it's all about how teachers unions are destroying america and it's funded by philip anschultz <laughs> like, go i don't that. think any of them knew they were in this crazy propaganda film <laughs> It's a fascinating little. Is, is it won't? Is it won't back down? That was it. Yeah, won't back down. God, but yeah, he he's does... like the annoying teacher who plays the ukulele all the time. <laughs> it's all about how charter schools are great and the only future for education in America, and it's all funded by this charter school dickhead billionaire. <laughs> you know who I have to credit for just spotting talent? Like he's a great. Like he's a he's 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 the best drafter of new talent that is then going to dominate life is Ridley Scott. Cause Ridley Scott had him cast in body of lies, which is 2008. Um, he's then in an Aussie movie called Balibo um, with Anthony Lapalia about journalists in Indonesia. Um, um, uh, like in 2009, which is a big movie in Oz. And then he's play he plays Prince John in Robin hood, which is not a good movie, but he's wonderful in it. Um, and then he rolls into 2000, his 2011 is Sucker Punch and Drive. Sucker Punch, <laughs> bad movie. Drive, very good. And he's only in it for a short amount of time. Then he's in, you know, uh, Born Legacy, as you said. Won't back down. It's 2012. He's in a couple of movies there. But then he hits um, Inside Lewin Davis. And then, like, he's off to the races. 2014, Most Violent Year. Then Ex Machina is also 2014. Um, and then he jumps in. And then, you know, 2015, he's in Star Wars and X-Men Apocalypse 2016. He's, like, hammering through. And then he's now started to kind of, go back to um some other like uh some other smaller things in between these big things you know obviously he's doing Dune, he did dune part one he did um uh the card counter in 2021 which is spectacular um a big sean burns blake howard movie triple frontier he's in that one that's oh. a uh he's, he's quite quite good in that quite good in yeah. that movie an underrated movie overall um but uh yeah he's and and then you know now he's this year's in um across the spider verse he's uh plays the I guess the big bad in there and before going off to another thing, Miguel O'Hara, Miguel O'Hara. Exactly. Um, 
Man, this has been so fun to talk to you about this movie. I fucking love it. I'm I'm really glad we got to talk about it. It is just it's it, no, I'm glad you got me to watch it again. I don't have that psychological bump anymore. No, right? look, you're you're it's out. The we got you, today. I'm got you through. We got you through. And with and with such inspirational uh with such inspirational stuff like George Washington Bridge, you don't throw yourself off, <laughs> throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge. Like that that's exactly what I needed to get you through. But, man, <laughs> but it, it is such a I mean, it's that Dylan moment when that happened in the cinema. I remember just going, "Oh God!" <laughs> or his reactions for when she when she hands him the note that says she's pregnant. He's just like, "Oh, you're fucking kidding me!" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly so- the supportive man that every woman wants in her life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's the N stand for? Luan Davis. Lewin. It's Welsh. <laughs> well, it would have to be some fucking stupid name like that. <laughs> John Goodman. Oh, bless. God, this movie's so wonderful. Um, great cat movie. Great movie. Just a great movie. And do you think the Coen brothers, especially at this time, suffered from just like being so unbelievably much better than most filmmakers that people were just like, yeah, it's kind of like the Spielberg thing where people like watch a movie and go, <laughs> eh, it's okay. And you're like, well, is it I okay? Mean, I think it was properly appreciated by everybody and it made a fair amount of money. You know, it was just the Academy, which always gets everything wrong. I mean, wasn't it the year American hustle got 10 fucking Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like is folks, it- we have a real Scorsese movie here. You don't have to nominate <laughs> the fake one. The, the one thing I want to say is, I think this movie has somehow weirdly maintained a great special place in people's hearts. Like the people who love it still love it. It hasn't mm-hmm. diminished, um, which is rare in like, you know, 10 years that it hasn't diminished. I wonder if it can still find people, maybe find people in a tough spot and go like, fuck, my life's bad, but it's not Lewin bad. <laughs> or, or, or if it is, it's like, if you watch it and your life is that bad, it's like, fuck. This isn't going anywhere. I'm going to be a merchant seaman. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. You know, like it's not, it's not fun to think about what life will be like, but I hope people still find it. It's, and it's clearly like, you know, Criterion gives its anointing, um, which is really special and, you know, it gives it those sorts of things, but God, it's. Oh, one last thing I noticed last night. I know we got to wrap this up, but Lewin's nephew. Yes. Is Schwartzman's son in Asteroid City. Is it really? <laughs> What a couple of movies. What a sucky thing for that kid for the rest of his career. I've worked with the Coen brothers and fucking Wes Anderson. Now I'm going to go do a Marvel movie. You know, it's just. <laughs> no, because I mean, that face is unmistakable. I was like, I know it. Oh, that's Woodrow. <laughs> oh, no, God. I mean, that's like the great career. It's like Argyle from Die Hard. It was that and he was the shoplifter in the Blues Brothers. You oh. know? <laughs> Immortality. Oh. Immortality. God, immortal like Lewin Davis. Immortal like Lewin Davis. There's an album I've been talking about to a couple of friends recently, just weirdly. There's a 1971 album that I got recommended to me by my old university professor. It's Neil Young live at Massey Hall. And he's like, it's in 1971. And he goes, Blake, you have to listen to this fucking album. It was really hard to get a hold of before, but I think now you can Spotify it. It's on Apple Music, et cetera. You can't Spotify it. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's 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 now there but in the back in the day for many years it's it was not really on hard. spotify if it's neil it's probably yeah. on apple yeah it'd be apple right <laughs> and so i have it on apple music now but I, i've still got a cd somewhere and he goes you know in his little in his little uh chatty bits between songs he's like i'm doing mostly new songs and in this set he's like I wrote this song about this guy who lives on my ranch. I own a ranch now, you know, and he sings old man for the first time in front of a (laughs) fucking audience. And it's everything you imagine that it is. It's not bumpy. It's not imperfect. It's like, I'm not necessarily a religious person, but if I was, I would say like the hand, you can feel the hand of God is on that man in that moment. Like, as in he's whatever, you know, he's like a lightning rod for creativity. He's just there. And he like, 
for the first time. And he even sings Heart of Gold as a medley with another song that he says a man needs a maid. And he squashes Heart of Gold and Man Needs a Maid is one song. And I think about that album so much because when I watch Lewin Davis, like that's the whole thing is like, they're doing the ships in the night. They're trying to capture this lightning and bottle. They're doing that famous Dylan gaslight set, which like basically changed the, you know, the international landscape of music and particularly the American music scene. But I hear that fucking Neil Young album all the time. And I'm like, he, this is his first time in front of a bunch of people in Canada singing old man. And you know, if I was at the show, I'd be like, Oh, it's a new song. I can go take a piss and get another beer. Exactly. (laughs) and you're like can you imagine being in that audience and he's just like i wrote this new song there's an old guy and it's quite funny because he's like you know he goes he's like ranchers have foremans they kind of come with the ranch when you buy it like he just has this it's so funny like he doesn't i don't think he's meaning to be hilarious but he's hilarious and then he just plays old man and you're like (laughs) this might be one of the best songs if you were sitting in the audience you're like this might be the best song I've ever heard. What the fuck was that? What's it called? <laughs> Where do I find that? What album's that? I'm never going to hear that. I don't know when he's going to play that again or whether I'm going to hear it on a record. And so I think about that so much when I watch this movie of like that thing where, you know, and I think the Coens do such a beautiful job of like making these beautiful transcendent moments and the Mumford brothers and, the, you know, one of the Mumfords helps write some of the songs and perform them. Um, and I just think, God, like, Lewin just was, he was the guy who performed at Massey Hall the night before Neil Young did that. You know, he's the guy right. that did the set immediately before Dylan. He's that one guy who was like, yeah, I was there. I was there. I opened for fucking Neil Young the night he dropped old man for the first time. And you're like, fuck me. Um, no, and again, I mean, that probably explains the hostility to the movie in some circles because no one wants to be the guy who almost made it. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to watch that story. You don't, but God, it's so good. I mean, we do, but you know. Yeah, we do. <laughs> if you want to watch that story, this is so perfect. It was great then. It's even better now because there's just nothing like it. It didn't resemble much when it came out. And it most certainly doesn't resemble the kind of like return of the American triumphalist 80s that is in our 2020s movies. It does, it, it's, it's, it's. Or even now what independent cinemas become with just this, you know communicating positive messages (laughs) there is there are no there's like a record number of sundance movies i couldn't finish this year i was just like yes i get it that's wonderful we're all (laughs) enjoy your affirmation i want to watch something dirty it's this is sean this could be a quote from sean burns it's just like i lost that fucking cat i feel bad about it and gene says that's what you feel bad about so many things to feel bad about not that oh man oh man such a great movie thank you so much for talking about it i'm so glad you got over the hump with it it's it's so great to chat to you what a classic go back this is this is probably the best movie of the year of 2013 i think i think it's one of the best that was a crazy year because that was also wolf of wall street and great beauty and i was at the watching the same goddamn movies over and over again a lot (laughs) oh great i I didn't have much else to do so great great beauty is one that i haven't watched in too long um what was the recent pablo sorrentino film that was uh, and ended up going to netflix you loved it oh yeah it was um the hand of god hand of god that was a fucking great movie too oh my word that was a good movie my favorite line in great beauty and it's like my worst nightmare is you know as anyone who tries to be a writer or anything when the woman asks you know why didn't you write a second book he said i went out at night instead <laughs> well speaking as a podcaster who edits things it's like why didn't you go out with your friends i was sitting down for six hours crunching an episode <laughs> of about a peter weir film from 2003 <laughs> doing anything else i was watching heat for the 700th time man you're the best thank you so much um is there any uh you're you've been working with the brattle is there anything you want to plug or anything like that like uh, recent stuff that you're doing you do some great stuff over at uh crooked marquee i got nothing going on at the moment so just read my reviews read his reviews they're out there he's truly one of the best that does it and um there's gonna be no movies around where I am for you know, no old films for the rest of the summer because everyone's got Oppenheimer. Ah, uh, yeah, look, I, so all I, the I, film I, projectors I, are gonna be all Oppenheimer. For- uh, I I can't I can't wait for the in, in, in 
the upcoming Sean Burns, Oppenheimer and Barbie double review. I can't wait for it. <laughs> like, like all true. Does film. no one remember that the dark Knight and mama Mia opened the same day. Like we yeah. used to have this shit happen all the time. I know, but, but now the internet likes to memify everything, right? It's just all coming out and look, <laughs> I, I'm backing Cruz in a street fight against, uh, you know, Reynolds Woodcock, AKA um, Chris Nolan about like, give me some of those fucking IMAX projectors, baby. I want to show Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning on IMAX. Well, if it's like the last Cruz movie, it'll just keep coming back to theaters for it'll three just, months. Yeah. Yeah. It'll just keep coming. I can't wait. Well, look, man, take care. It's so great to talk to you. You're the yeah. best. Thanks for doing this. And it feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark, a uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. <laughs> uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker a smart lyrical um hallucinatory filmmaker he's a very dreamy filmmaker and i don't think he gets his due you know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, at, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's a, such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know? <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I, I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're gonna pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this Blake. That's right. 
Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.